Hey there, podcast fans. I'm here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello, hello. Hi, Andrew. Oh, I love it when we get together like this. Me too. Well, now that I've got a now that I've got a kid, I always raise the spirits by showing off the grandson for a while. It definitely lowers the vocabulary of our initial conversation. There's a lot of beep beeps and oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah, he's doing it back really, really well. It's I know. really good. He's almost I mean, one. So yeah. he's learning a lot. So it's really Yeah, great. he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I now that I started the topic of of my son that I'm obsessed with, we should probably switch before that becomes all we talk about. Oh, so, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about, about our next upcoming conversation? Oh, it's with someone I've known for, uh, gosh, almost 12 years now. And I just, actually, I adore him. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't say that, but I do. His name is Mark Hines. Mark is in Honolulu, Hawaii at Mid-Pacific Institute. And he's now the director of Kupu Hoa, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying it right, Academy. But Hang on a second. You're going to say it better than me. Kupu Hoa. Kupu Hoa Academy. Oh, or whatever. I know I said it wrong, but anyway, we're going to talk about it and he's going to explain what the kubu um, is from and all of that. And, um, but what's so neat is that the friendship we have is just been so special and watching his growth and watching what he's been doing. And he's sharing some of the amazing projects that the kids are doing and that, um, he's been able to work with teachers now and watching what teachers are actually be able to transform their classrooms. Oh, he's just amazing. I can't wait for people to listen. Well, you were just telling me earlier about about how you got to see this amazing transformation of their school from like 2010 to 2018, um, which just blows my mind that you got the you got this great experience of seeing some of your advice taken. It just sounds so amazing. Well, he said he says that I I'm it was all my fault. It's not really. They did it all before. I'm not taking credit for all the wonderful things they've done. They work really hard there. <laughs> and it's just uh lucky for me to work in Honolulu. Isn't that nice? I mean, that was just wonderful. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's stick around for a conversation with Barbara Bray and Mark Hines. Well, I have someone I've known for so long, and I am so very excited to have him here. Dr. Mark Hines. Hi, Mark. Aloha, and thank you, Barbara. I'm so excited. to. I'm always excited when we get a chance to talk because it's always exciting, isn't it? Well, we've been friends for a long time, and I just been wanting to have this conversation with you. But every time I talk to you, it's like, there's more. There's more. <laughs> and there so, should be. Life is like that. I know. So let me just share with my audience a little bit about you. I mean, I'm going to have to boast a little because I really like you a lot. <laughs> Dr. Mark Hines is the director of Kupu Ho Academy at Mid-Pacific Institute. It's a professional learning organization that supports deeper learning practices for teachers and school leaders. 
I just learned all about this and I'm so excited for you to share more about this, Mark. It's, you've been you, doing this. You are one of the instigators, so. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's, that was a long time ago. But you've been doing a lot. So let me just share. You've played for 42 years. I love what you said, played. <laughs> for 42 years as a math, science, technology teacher, technology coordinator, program head, deeper learning evangelist, facilitator of learning, canoe paddling coach, champion of teachers and learners of all ages. Was well, that all? <laughs> I, I like the being a champion. You know, one of my favorite sayings is I, when people say, what do you really want to do? And I say, I want to lead the league in assists. That's like my goal. So champ, oh, being a champion is like that. You are. I've known you now. Um, I think in 2009, I came to Mid-Pacific Institute yeah. to do PBL with your teachers. And and I it was so much fun. You even had me come back. <laughs> If we need to do that again, clearly, it's been too long. I loved it. I loved it so much. And there's so much about you, Mark, that um, I just hope, I don't know if we'll have enough time to share everything because there's so much in your life. And, but I do want to start off with your why. Mm. You know, um, it's a great question. And of course, Barbara, you've got the book, which I've got in front of me and I was looking through today. And, I, you know, I realized in thinking about this, for the first part of my life, which was, I had kind of a rocky adolescence and was bullied and really struggled with who I was. And I didn't really know what my why was. I went to an engineering school, got a degree in physics, loved science because I just loved to learn about the natural world, but still didn't know. I, I figured if you're learning science, you should be a scientist. And it was only um, when I was sitting at my best friend's uh table dinner table and her father looked at me and said mark i think you'd make a marvelous teacher and i laughed and i went i'm not gonna be a teacher i'm a scientist i'm gonna do science he said well listen right now you're unemployed this was during the recession of 1982 and he said my brother is the superintendent next town over you can make some money substitute teaching you want some money don't you i was like oh sure (laughs) and within a week of going in and just substitute teaching i realized that son of a gun like, I didn't see it in myself, but the minute I, I, I was in a chemistry class, I remember vividly, and um, th- as soon as we start, I sat down with these 11th graders, and they were studying orbital, you know, bonding, and N-level, P-level, and, and, you know, atomic structure, sorry, now all the eyes are rolling back and people falling asleep, but the students looked at me and went, wait, you understand this? You're a sub. I said, yeah, I understand it. And they were like, wait, tell us more. And they leaned in instead of doing the classic of the subs here and everyone leans back. Mm. And all of a sudden I thought I got this jolt of energy, like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I love this stuff, but I didn't know what to do with it. And seeing their energy around learning with something that it, it made sense. I remember sitting with my mother at the kitchen table a week later and saying, I know this is going to sound weird, but I actually think I'm, I'm I'm supposed to be a teacher. And but there's no jobs. It was a recession. They were firing teachers in every mm-hmm. town in Massachusetts where I grew up. And she said, Mark, actually, it was Boston, Mark, <laughs> if, if you love what you do, there'll always be someone that wants to work with you. And so she gave me permission to take a leap of faith and uh, I started teaching that next week, and 
never stopped. And um, so that became my why was uh, for the longest time was in how can I take my love and passion in science in particular, but in just learning and get kids to envision themselves as um, wanting to know more and, and leaning in, right, instead of just cruising back. And so that became really what drove me. And just in the last 10 years, you know, this is my 42nd year in education. So, Barbara, you and I are folks who we've been at this for generations. Mm -hmm. I have the privilege at my school that I work at that I've been at for 38 years of working with over two dozen alumni that I taught who are teachers and directors and assistant principals. And, you know, it's, it's just such a privilege to see them come back to education, knowing them when they were 15 years old. Um, and we've seen this real tough time in education. You know, it, it doesn't pay well. You know, it pays well enough, but it doesn't pay well. Um, it's hard. Um, in, in many communities, teachers are not given the respect and the, the real um, honor that they deserve for the mission and the work that they do. And so we have a, a tough time keeping people in the profession. And... Yeah. You know, I think my my why has really changed in this last decade to work with to really try to strengthen every teacher I interact with through the work we do at in my new division of the school to give teachers reasons, whether they're new and just struggling to find their place in their profession or ones that have been there for you know a decade and ask themselves, why am I doing this? And to really help them recapture, give them permission to have fun in their classroom and to design learning and to create instances. And for leaders we work with to support faculty in finding you know, if nothing else, laughter in a classroom instead of yelling, you know, and and, um, mm -hmm. and to find students um, wanting to go in versus waiting for the clock to finish its march around the dials until they're out of school. Sorry, that's a very analog reference. Until they're out of school for the day. So my why has changed. It's still about trying to make a difference. But who that works situated in thinking about this, I hadn't, I mean, I appreciate the question because I hadn't really yeah. dove into that until just, you know, thinking about, you know, the work you've been doing recently around why. Oh, wow. That is amazing. You mentioned something though, in the beginning about being bullied. And mm. I mean, I can't even imagine someone doing that to you. I, I, I know that being a, a preteen or a teen is tough or even younger when kids are finding something you know that's tough about you and making life kind of a, a struggle mm. so tell us a little bit more about that because i i um you know i can't you touched on it but i want to know more you know i was in i was a nerdy kid um i wasn't an athlete um and so I didn't, you know, on the playground, I wasn't the kid that ran out and played sports. I was over on the side and, uh, but I, but I was tall for my age. I was six feet when I was in uh, sixth grade. So you look at oh, wow. class pictures and I'm the one with the head sticking up. And I think bullies saw this quiet kid who um, didn't, you know, didn't play the games the way everyone else did and thought, okay, if we make an example out of him, and everyone else will know this is what happens if you don't do what we want. So I was targeted a lot in my late elementary and middle school years. 
And, 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 and I really dreaded, you know, every corner, you know, I, I, I think about myself now as a professional walking through corridors in school, the places where these things happen, right? It happened in the classroom behind the teacher's back, but it happened a lot in the corridors, at the locker, in the gym, behind mm-hmm. the lockers, and, you know, out in the, on the playground. And so I find I'm drawn to those spaces. You know, some faculty go to the faculty restroom. In our school, I go into the student restroom to use the restroom with the students because I really want to see and hear and be a presence and and make sure that what's what we see happening is a healthy environment for these kids. Because mm-hmm. I remember what it was like to just go to a restroom and be worried about was I going to get, you know, someone who's going to push me or or try to take my money or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there was a long period of me being very depressed as a as a young uh, adolescent. And then I found my people. I was uh, I became involved in our music program at my school which was an excellent music program and um everyone in there had a passion for creating beautiful music together and we were an award-winning high school and, and middle school and i was an all-state jazz musician and i was in you know the director of the marching band my senior year and in there i found my place where i felt safe and seen um <clears throat> it wasn't that teachers weren't trying but you know you think about we all that are listening, probably most of us are educators, you have 120 kids or 100 kids in a day. Do you see everyone? Do you do you get that chance to really check? And so, you know, I think this work with deeper learning and project-based learning, one of the things that I think is the hidden secret sauce uh, is that in doing it, we get to know our learners so much better because it, it becomes a more personalized experience. And so we have a better opportunity to build relationships and to and to help them become more empathetic and more self-aware and collectively aware of the impact that they have on each other and i think those are things that you know for a long time in schools we were so focused on the three r's and just you know test grades and that's it and there's those are the 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 soft skills part that actually is that's got to be done before we worry about the content or Mm -hmm. for what end right Sorry, that was a long answer about that journey. Oh, I but... don't care. I loved it. It was, I mean, the the thing, just knowing that you didn't feel seen, heard, or valued, that I think that's probably one of the emphasis for you to be a teacher when you when things started changing for you down the road is that, you know, there must be a lot of kids that went through that, that you actually, when you were see middle school in Mid-Pacific and and then moving to high school, there might be some kids that fall through the cracks and we miss them. So, yeah. and and now working with teachers, making them aware, do you tell that story um, about what happened to you? Because I think teachers, I bet you that happened to a lot of teachers. You know, I've, I've, a few times on my campus at, at our assemblies, there's been times when uh, I've had the opportunity to share that story. And um, and it's really interesting because mm-hmm. it gives people permission to admit both students and adults about their own experience, um, about whether it was being bullied or feeling like they're they didn't know who they were or if anyone cared about you know their life. You know, they've some of them gone through hard family situations and no one really knew or asked how they were doing. Mm-hmm. So I think 
when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, right, to be very, you know, Brene Brownish here, we provide an opportunity to get closer to being a community because that means we do more than just talk about how the weather is, right? We, you know, in, in Hawaiian, there's actually a, a saying about, you know, there, there's the pico is sort of the center of where your energy is. And one of the picos is the belly button, it's the na'au. And hmm. in Hawaiian culture, there's there's a question that says, how's your gut? How's your na'au? And, it's, and that's not the question like, how you doing? That's a, how are you feeling? Mm. And that's a very different question with kids, with adults. And I think in schools that have strong cultures that are student-centered or community-centered, that question is a safe question to both ask and answer. And, you know, would we want every school to be that way? Those of us that are parents, I've got three boys that I'm incredibly proud of and love dearly. And, of course, as a parent, you hope every day they feel like someone cares about how they feel Mm -hmm. and that they're there. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. I felt that when I went into your school. I felt that feeling that the kids were excited, especially when they were working in, you know, the the environment that you were working in. Because they were, I, I I guess this is one of the kind of the the background, the foundation of the work that you've done there. And I just well, I would say we've done as we've a school, done, yeah. but I, I've certainly have been a part of that, and I'm glad to be. Um, but it's it, it has to be a collective effort and an agreement around yeah. what are we really about. And we spend a lot of time as a school, and I spend a lot of time in other schools, really having them dive into if the why, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the purpose of this time here that we have? Is it just to check boxes? They're going to take three years of this, four years of that. We're going to teach them how to write argumentative essays all good outcomes but mm-hmm. at the core what are the real reasons for the 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 large opportunity we have to spend this much time with developing young adults there's a there's a researcher and friend at University of Kentucky John Nash shout out to John Nash who I talk with quite a bit about uh, education and one of his statements a while ago was when you work with kids you ask yourself Okay, so I'm going to have time with these kids. These are the people that are going to make the world suck or not suck when they're adults. What role do I want to play in that development? And I just thought that I've got that written on my wall on a post-it. These are the people that will make the world suck or not suck. Wow. Well, I know what I'd want to do, (laughs) but it's like, it's a lot of work. It's, Mm -hmm. and you said 42 years, you and you said Massachusetts, is that right, that you were? I started teaching. I was in teaching in Massachusetts for three years, and then I, make, I came out to Hawaii in 1985. And I was a public school teacher in Massachusetts. I was raised in public schools, went to public schools, believe in the mission of public education um, for all of the challenges that are presented to it through no child left behind mandates and everyone wanting yeah. schools to do all things for all people as you know rob evans says to you know raise the dead and and, he- and heal the sick um <laughs> you know schools are you know struggle with all the things laid on them but public education is the foundation of preparing humans to live in a challenging world and so 
even though I teach at an independent school, my role now is I spend 80% of my time with public school teachers and leaders, all of us saying our intent for everyone is to, to build a more resilient um, opportunity for students to become the best version of themselves in our society. Wow. It's, I mean, I, I remember the work that you've done, you did before, because I was there and observing you and thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I get to know him better. <laughs> and we have, but it's amazing the direction you are going now. It's, do you want, maybe we should go back and tell a little bit more about, is it called MPX Exploratory? That's where you were yeah. before the Kupo. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'm even going to go a little bit further back than oh, that, even just further. because it sets. Yeah. Uh, so back in uh, back in the '90s, when I was, you know, maybe in my eighth year or so in teaching, I really realized early on, and it's and as a science teacher, it's a cheat that because you know you could think of science as two things: it's a body of knowledge, and you're going to teach kids information, and test it, or it's a way of viewing the world and you have the students explore and experiment and make conclusions. So I was blessed to be involved with some of the really well-designed curriculum that had been designed that was student as scientist centered. And so it really informed the way I viewed what, what learning should look like in a classroom. And so even in, uh, I just went, unfortunately, recently just to a colleague's um, memorial service who I taught with for many years at the school. And she and I, together with a math teacher, she was a language arts teacher and a social studies teacher, back in the mid-90s, started a course at our cool school called Exploration of Mars. And it was an interdisciplinary course. And the topic was, how and what will humans need to do to eventually colonize Mars. Um, and wow. so the four of us teachers working with 50 students in double block periods, all those things were new things at our school back, you know, 30 years ago, were every day tried to figure out what curriculum should look like that was meaningful, authentic. So we had Senate hearings, they had to do budget and finance, they had to do orbital mechanics, they had to think about housing, they had to think about how people survive in isolation, psychology, you know, the writings of journey and exploration. So all those things were part of the curriculum. So that became sort of a foundational experience for me. And when the challenges and the joy of having students do something that was about their thinking and about their aspirations for where they wanted that to go. So in the 2010 period, we started at the school a program of ninth and 10th grade integrated language arts, social studies, math, science, not a standalone class, but a fully integrated class that combined together those disciplines called Mid-Pacific Exploratory. And it was modeled after many of the really great work that's being done by, you know, the folks that we now call the Deeper Learning Network, Expeditionary Learning and, you know, um, um, you know, a high tech high and, you know, big picture learning and many of these networks. And so we started talking with a lot of these folks. We started going to the Deeper Learning Conference, which is this wonderful gathering of the true believers and student centered deeper learning work every year. And so we built a, a program for that. And um, immediately, uh, and it was sort of built as an option for our students at our school, but immediately created tension 
because now we had two models. Do you want to go and work with seven teachers a day, all of whom are wonderful and expert in their in their areas, but your peas are always going to be separate from your carrots, are going to be separate from your potatoes, or do you want to blend it all together and work on something authentic in the community? And so uh, the team that uh, you know I was blessed to work with in that time, and I led that program initially. It's now being led by a former student of mine who's now a teacher at the school and is is the leader at our school. Um, is you know, students do work like work with restoration in fish ponds, which are part of the, the sustainable agricultural practices of Hawaiians long before, you know, you know, Hawaii was discovered by Westerners, right? Or, you know, work with community partners to support um, ideas around transportation or visitor industry or whatever. I mean, it, it's doing authentic work in the community that's meaningful. And, um, you know, there was some fear because we're college prep school i'm going to put you can't see that in the podcast but i'm putting that in finger quotes right now and what does that mean <laughs> well college prep means different things to different people right to some yeah. people that means taking as many courses that have names on them that colleges will want to see i'm going to take ap calculus i'm going to take you know um you know uh second level chemistry and colleges want to see that but then when you bring colleges onto our campus and they say, that's the kind of learning that we want to see, kids working together, solving problems, using technology effectively, thinking about their role in the community. So, you know, even the college process gets muddies the waters. So there were folks that said, "This, yeah, it's all well and good. They're having fun. They're learning. I guess that's okay. But that's not going to get them ready for college. Mm. Because there was a sense that being ready for college meant sitting listening to lectures, taking tests. Now, I'll grant you, this is 14 years ago at the beginning of that journey. Yeah. And then this first group of students that graduated, my son was one of them in 2015 that had started with our program, all went to fine colleges, UC Northbridge and Yale and Cornell and you know UC schools, UW, and they all did fine. And in fact, what they did was they came back and they told us, you know, so I, the thing that really I learned about myself was what motivates me and how to work with people. And so I don't know how these kids even graduated from high school that are in my class because they can't work together and they don't know how to even talk to a professor. Like when I have a problem, I go talk to the professor and I say, can I talk to you about this? I'm trying to understand this. And they just like, they don't know what to do. They're lost. Like, how did they even survive? Wow. But, so they, they developed agency, right? That's a phrase that's been around for a while, right? This idea that I can be, I have that positive mindset. I can impact my own future and learning. And that work out of that was the outcome that was amazing. And it's not that that doesn't happen in other areas in more traditional schools when you're lucky enough to have a program like I did in music where I learned about myself. Or maybe I've got a really great robotics teacher who teaches me really how to take authority and a stance and to do something with my learning. But for most schools, this is the research of Joe Mehta and Sarah Fine in their book, In Search of Deeper Learning, right? When they went around and toured 100 schools, high schools in the country, they found that those things were happening in most schools in the electives because the teachers had more autonomy on their curriculum or they were more passionate about it or no one was saying, well, if they don't get to that part of dance, it doesn't really matter because it's just dance, right? So do what you want. And so that's where the kids were finding those things so my belief which it gets back to mpx is those things should be part of the core experience yeah and to do that we need to rethink 
time, curriculum, the way that we assess really powerfully, you know, what does it mean to show evidence of learning and and for whom? So that's a long-winded answer. And I did it all in one breath. Pretty impressive, right? That was pretty good. That was very impressive. The thing that is amazing to me is that um, when you look at the durable skills that people are going to need for their future, they're going to need to learn how to collaborate and work as part of a team and all the things that you're doing as part of this prod, you know, the it's project-based, but they're also problem-based. It's challenge-based. It's all of that. I just, I just love it. I mean, I tried bringing that in <laughs> long, long ago with you, but it wasn't as well done as well as what you're doing now because, or what MPX is doing still, and they're still there, right? Yeah. And about a third, interestingly, about a third to half of our students year by year choose still. It's still a choice. We feel like that's a valid option. If there's ever a point where all the students want to go one way or the other, then we know what people want. But right now it's a it's an opportunity for a kid at the age of 14 to say, do you want to really dive into some things deeply or do you want to get many experiences to still figure out where you're at? We don't we don't call them good or bad. One is. Our, you know, the MPX program, one is the standard program. Um, and so whichever of those pathways floats your boat, because, you know, you want to focus on dance. And if you really want to do dance, you're probably doing MPX isn't going to work because you need to have more time in your schedule for dance. So make dance your passion and go do that. Mm. So we look at it as a yes and versus, a, you know, either or and one's good and one's bad. But so now it's about a third of the student population does the full project-based learning experience and others choose for for an uh, international baccalaureate school. So some want to do some of the more IB aligned coursework because they know that they'll be able to do things like, you know, the diploma and and what that entails. Although about the same percentage of the kids in MPX end up doing diploma as well. So even that's not. Yeah. I mean, the one thing is you have, I mean, I've seen the dances that you're <laughs> that the students do. It's amazing. So there's a lot of beauty coming out of the school. It's not just one thing. They're they're multi um, opportunities for your kids, yeah. the kids there. So it's a wonderful school. And I was lucky to just they asked me to observe. I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> it was. Wonderful. And it sounds like it's doing so much more now. But the idea that, you know, you're taking it to another level with Kupu Po Academy. Um, I got to make sure I say it right, you know. That's perfectly right. <laughs> Can I explain to you where that comes from, by the way? No, no, you didn't. So the in, in Hawaii, you know, it's all created by volcanoes coming up and lava. And so, you know, the, the big island, the island of Hawaii still has active volcanoes. And so when you have a lava flow, it's barren. And the first plant that you see pop up in lava fields is this fern called kupu kupu. And so sometimes if you ever look at like a lava field, you'll see these little ferns popping up. They're the first mm-hmm. sign of new growth of life in a barren place. And as we reflected, I think, Barbara, when you were with us back in 2010, we didn't have that name. We called it Project 101, I think, or That's something right. like that, because right. we didn't have, we weren't we weren't driven by comm strategy of what should we call this thing? Um, but we sat down as a school and our Kumu, our, our Hawaiian 
teacher um, who has a strong voice in, in, in culture and identity said, you know, the, the work you're doing is like the Kupu Kupu Fern because you're helping new things grow. It, it, so the idea of Kupu Ho literally means to sprout because this idea of the Kupu Kupu Fern popping up is this behavior of life sprouting. And so mm. Kupu Ho is means for, to, to spring forth or to renew and and so we look at that work in Kupuho Academy as, you know, not not telling teachers you're doing it wrong. Here's the right way to do it. But you've already done many of these things, and we're giving you the ability to renew that work in a way that can make it even more empowering, more student-centered, more mm-hmm. personalized. So that's where the and so if you look at our logo on our on our um on our website, but it's a fern. It's it's, it's the Kupu Kupu fern. Actually that's what's behind me in my Zoom screen right now. There's some I see it. ferns yeah. back there. Yeah. <laughs> well it what is really nice is that you're just touching so many hearts and so many souls right now because you're working with teachers and leaders and coaches and all over. I mean, I was surprised when you told me how many places you've been going. It's, I, I mean, I, I love the work, you know, that I've done with project-based learning, but I love the direction you're going. It's just beautiful. Well, you and know, it, one of the things, if I could add to that, is when we started and when you were with us back in the early 2010s, um, you know, we were focusing on PBL as a specific kind of pedagogical strategy and you know somewhere in that early phase we realized because even at our own school we're we're a pre-k through grade 12 school and so our pre-k is actually reggio emilia influenced which is very strong based on students experiences and the questions that they bring and then our elementary is not PBL. They're actually inquiry-driven, which is a flavor of letting students' questions guide the emergent pathway that the teacher designs. Uh, I was just, uh, we had a visitor from Australia on campus yesterday, and we were walking her through with Edna Hussey, our just absolutely phenomenal <laughs> elementary principal who has yeah. led this work for 20 years, uh, 20 years plus. Um, and, but we were talking about, you know, the theme is a big theme of maybe change. And then the teachers give students experiences and the teachers start to glean out of that. Sounds like we're really interested in the impact of this. And so we were talking to one of the teachers and I was, uh, the question I asked her was, she said, we're still working on the question, but we're getting closer. I said, what's your hunch? And she was talking about identity and society and who am I? And so that could lead them to a rich inquiry. So that's one way. That's a deeper learning approach. In our middle school, there's a lot of work with design thinking, which is another way of creating human-centered solutions. And so that's a deeper learning pedagogy. And then in the high school with MPX and the arts, there's other ways that we can see deeper learning work happening. So we realized early on, we the goal isn't to make someone a PBL school or a place-based school or a challenge-based school. The question is, in what ways, so we actually have this Venn diagram that shows sort of, here's these different pedagogical approaches. What do they all have in common? And so we talk about the assessment practices, students having multiple means to show what they know. Things are driven by an inherently authentic and interesting question that students have opportunities to iterate and reflect and design. So those things are true in all those 
pedagogical approaches. And then the differences are just depending upon either teacher or school preference. But if we can do those things well, then mm -hmm. the student experience becomes the one that we really are shooting for, right? I love the idea of, you know, inquiry-based where the kids are curious and they actually, people are listening and can hear that they are, they have these wonderful questions that they can explore. So yeah, yeah you're, ah, your school is amazing, but it's also wonderful that you're spreading some of the sprinkling out the kupu kupu <laughs> to well, other teachers and other um, adult learners, let's just say. Well, you had pointed out, I think somewhere you had read that I had written something about, I'm driven by the undying belief that that teachers and the, and the, and the role education can play can have an impact when we allow teachers and students to have the ability to make decisions that are powerful for the students that they have or for the the location of the school no two curricula should look the same because no two schools are the same no two classrooms are the same no two students are the same mm -hmm. and yet you know the mechanized you know western way of mm -hmm. here's the formula for what education needs to look like on monday you teach this on tuesday you teach this on wednesday everyone takes the same test with the same questions for the same amount of time <laughs> like that's a such a western way in yeah. in almost any other culture that wouldn't look that way at all you know even in hawaiian culture right how education was passed on through oral traditions and story and chant and through a mentorship and apprenticeship right you know many of those same things that we saw prior to this western model of education you know those those were not wrong um so you know the the notion of empowering learners at all ages to tap into that way of thinking and learning is we should get permission for that. It's right. It's powerful. You know, what's really nice is that the more teachers are involved with this, the more it becomes like, like you have to do it. It just feels good. And it also, I mean, I look at so many teachers that are disenfranchised right now. If they were just part of something like this, it, it makes you feel like, um, you're not the only expert in the room anymore. You're not the one responsible for the learning anymore. You're not held accountable for the learning because the kids are so excited about the way they want to learn and the way you've approached that. I hope that more schools bring you in because this would be so, you know, you and, and your team, you know, because yeah. you're, you've got a great group. You've got people that really put some thought into this amazing approach. I, I just, well, you know, I was always talking about deeper learning. It's just, I did, you've taken it now much farther and it's just, I'm just so excited about you being here now. Hey Barbara, can I say something by the way? Because you don't like, I was knowing what the role, like usually we don't flip it back on on you, but um, I have to tell you, like one of the things I know of you and that I tell people about you is, you know, there are some folks who when they see it, they know it and they're and they jump along and there are folks that don't want to change and they dig in their heels. And then, you know, on the curve of, you know, diffusion of innovations, right, there's that small like whatever it is, three or five percent who are the the early innovators who are willing to jump in before 
it's even <laughs> something. You know, I think about that video about the dancing guy <laughs> and about, you know, the, in the concert and the guy starts crazily dancing and everyone yeah. first laughs. And then it's the next people in that build the movement, right? But someone has to get up and dance. And right. I think, <laughs> I, I wonder for you, because as long as I've known you, you've always been the first one up to dance. Truly, like I've seen that at parties, but also in education, you're willing to get up and show people, here's what we really should be doing. How did you develop that 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 intuition to know it's time to say, let's talk about this? Oh, because I have, um, let's just say... <laughs> I have I, I have no way of thinking that I have to be right or wrong. I just have these ideas that I want to put out. And some people think, I mean, I've gotten a lot of trouble. <laughs> of course. I mean, I've done things because I it's all about the kids. That's it. And I would do things when I was working in, in some, I don't want to say the school district, but at one point I really wanted to showcase the work, but I couldn't. If I asked permission, they would have said no. So I did it anyway. You know, I mean, I'm that way. And you're that's why I love your school. That's why I loved working with you and still see what you're doing now. And uh, I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm telling the stories because I'm not out there in the schools as much anymore. I just able to share the stories, but also let people know that there's these amazing things happening at these wonderful places that you need to know about. And I've always felt that way about what you were doing at your school. And then when I heard about what you're doing with the Academy and I, I just said, this is the way to do it. And so I can't take credit for that. <laughs> I well, really you should. Can't. Someone's got to get up and start dancing at the party, Barbara. So I, well, I, 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 I give you credit for being the first dancer. You in know, most I things. I put on dance parties too. My Zoom dance parties. I'll make sure you're invited. <laughs> so I always. Well, thanks have... for coming on my podcast. I appreciate that, Barbara. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll do it. We'll do it. The people can't see me dancing right now, though. I love to dance, so you probably will find that out in my book and stuff. But still. What I said is that it was lovely to be at your school. It's a place I hope people come to visit. Uh, we would love that. Please reach out because yeah, we we give at least a tour a week, and and it's it's you know it, one of the things that's I think is the hard work is it's and I don't mean this. I have I have a dear friend that opened a charter school because she saw the way education was, and she thought I need to build something from the ground up in order to to show people what it can look like. And that's one approach and it's and it's great and we need models. But the truth is most schools are bricks and mortar places that already exist. And the, the hard work I feel is supporting efforts to grow professionalism in the places that already exist. And that that includes my own school, which has been in existence for over 120 years wow. and still struggles with identity of, are you college prep? Are you getting kids ready for this? What kind of kids do you have there? What kind of work are you trying to do? Mm. Like there's, you know, there's a tendency to, you know, that in the words of high tech, high revert to the mean, right? Go back to the way it was like this mm -hmm. too shall pass. And so keeping when when people come and visit us, we try not to just shine a light on the bright spots. 
but also talk around the challenges in day-to-day work of continuing to live up to things like grad, you know, profile of a graduate or stated goals and mission that talk about truly preparing kids for their future. And what does that look like when you have to roll up your sleeves and continue to ask, am I doing it correctly? Right. Well, unfortunately, it we are kind of we were brought up with the school the way that we went to school or our parents went to school that way. So some people think that's the only way. We just have to give models and that's what you do. And so I wanted to ask you now that we could talk forever, but we have to pull it together now. I told I warned you we would do that. (laughs) It's okay. I love it, Mark. It's just, you know, I really care about you. But what's next for you? This feeling, you mentioned it to me. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks who, you know, they have a plan and they know where they're going. I think I told you a story when I was working on my doctorate the very first day of class with the first professor. And the question was, you all just joined this program. Why are you here? And we went around and everyone said something equivalent to, in order for me to advance in my career, I need this, or I'm, I really want to become a professor, or, you know, it, you know, there was a goal tied to it. And then they came to me and I said, I actually am here because I just, I'm curious and I think this will help me learn more. Like, I'm not sure where it's going to take me. Just, and that was maybe a foolish thing to join a doctoral program and not have a particular outcome in mind. However, it, it's kind of, there's... There's having your inner belief about what you're what you're there for, your why, right? And my why, at least when I found it at the age of 22 years old as a as a substitute teacher, about this is where I can make a difference in the world. Um, so that part is still with me, and you know, as I look towards my next 10 years in education, I guess that's where I've spent my last 42 years. I don't know what's next is more about a thing as finding a way to continue to make this work matter for the adults and the kids and the parents Mm -hmm. who invest, you know, a significant portion of their lives, um, whether it's their adolescence for kids or it's their professional time as teachers to make that the closer to the ideal of what we all believe it should be. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think, still figuring out for me. I'll know it when I'm there, much like everything else seems to have happened in my life and hoping that I didn't run out of gas and that that won't happen again. <laughs> You're not going to run out of gas. You You always will make a difference and you have. So, okay, my audience will want to get a hold of you. What is going to be the best way to find out more about you or contact you? Well, you know, the the work I do in in this this supporting teachers and leaders is uh, on our school website. So Kupuho Academy, if you were just Google that, you would find us. But it's uh, Kupuho, K-U-P-U-H-O-U dot midpac dot edu. So midpac, Mid-Pacific Institute is the school where we're housed and it's a division of the school. But I can just be reached at my email address. It's just like everyone, it's first name, first letter, last name, M Hines at midpack.edu. Uh, would love to to connect. It, you know, this work is the what 
but puts wind in my sails is like today's conversation. It's a chance to share, compare, learn, redesign, reinvent, dream, mm. laugh. Yeah. You no, know, in the words of my caught my colleague and former student Greg, you know, the perfect situation is when students leave our schools, there's someone I would want to hang out with as an adult. Like that's oh. the goal of a good education. Oh, wow. I thought that was brilliant. He actually said it a little differently. He said someone I'd rather have a beer with, but okay, <laughs> alcohol out of the picture. Yeah. If I can hang out with these 15-year-olds when they're 25 and still laugh and mm. and be with their families, then we've got something. And I think the same is true for our community of educators. Mm -hmm. Do we like being together? And those of you that, you know, you're you're of the camp I am, that that's when we do our best work, when we yeah. not just sweating, but we're also uh, exploring and laughing and having joy in in the discoveries, that's reach out. Sure. Oh, Who I love this. more of that. Yes. Well, thank this has been just wonderful. I'm going to say mahalo. <laughs> Excellent. Mahalo to you too. Wonderful. And thank you so much, Mark, for spending so much time with me. And uh, I, I, it's just like bringing back all these old times together. <laughs> I love it. We, we have to figure out where we're going to be to where we can be connected the next time together. As much as this has been wonderful over a, uh, you know, a, a digital connection in person still yeah. matters. And so hopefully you and I can connect again soon. We will. Thank you so much. Aloha and ahuiho. We'll see you again. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Mark Hines. I've known Mark since 2010. That's when I met him in Denver at the ISTE conference. And then he invited me to work with his teachers at Mid-Pacific. You know, I've learned so much from Mark and I've just really enjoyed following his journey. So make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast on barbaragray.net so you can access the resources and links that Mark mentioned. It would be awesome if you subscribe to my podcast. I'd be really grateful if you wrote a review. Thanks again for listening and keep sharing your story. And please stay safe and be well.